said, I wanted to thank a few more people. I want to have her stand up, have my mom stand up. She flew out here from Georgia. That's where I'm from. Mom. You got to stand up, Mom. There you go. She's up here in the front, you know. You know, we come from a pretty uh, spiritual family, and my mom, from, a, you know, from, the er- from as early as I can remember, has instilled a faith in me. That, that said, you, you know, she, she, is, she was the one that planted the seed. There's been others that have helped make it, water it and, and make it grow, but she planted the seed. Uh, Mom, I thank you so much. You are, like Lashana said, our prayer warrior. You got to pray with that woman. She'll call you and pray with you. It used to annoy me, but now I love it. Because I used to, you know, I didn't want to hear it, you know, but now I love when my mom prays with me, and she prays with such passion, and I love it. To my other family, my other parents, Lonnie and Lavetta, that's LaShane's parents. You got to stand up real quick. Um, they've just been an, an amazing example. You know, I look to Lonnie as just an example of what a good husband's supposed to do and how he's supposed to be, the humility and the faith that he has. And Lonnie, thank you so much for being that great example. Um, Thanks for being a great father to my wife and a great grandfather to my son and future son. Mom, thank you so much just for your love, your enjoyment, for your cooking. (laughs) You know, when we're together, we have a good time. So I love you guys so much. Ron and Cheryl, you know, you guys have invested so much in LaShane and I. You're not only our mentors, not only like our spiritual parents, you're our friends, you're our bosses. You guys, I don't know if you realize the connections that we have. I mean, we are connected. I don't know if my last name is Hawkins or Hammer sometimes. We are connected. Lashana and I have discipled their children as they've discipled us, and I'm sure their children might one day disciple our children. Who knows what God has planned? But, you know, over the summer last year, we actually felt like we were not close enough to Ron and Cheryl. So we decided to move to their neighborhood. So now we're neighbors with them as well. But, you know, I'm so grateful for you guys and how you've poured into us and the love that you have and just the, just the great time that we have. I love you guys so much. And to my beautiful wife, I mean, she is beautiful. She is radiant. I don't know how I got so lucky. But, honey, you are, I mean, you're worth dying for. You're amazing. Your faith calls me higher. Your love for people calls me higher. She sheds tears for so many, including myself. And I just thank you. For, for being that amazing woman of God, that amazing mother that you are. I love you so much. You know, the, this morning I wanted to preach on legacy. You know, I believe that legacy, you know, the life that you lead will determine the legacy that you leave. You know, as far as legacy, you know, the goal here this morning for me isn't to think crazy amounts into the future because, you know, the future's not guaranteed, right? Tomorrow is not guaranteed for any one of us. 
You know, I think focusing on your legacy means doing the little things day in and day out, staying laser focused on what's most important and living each day as a light, as a light to our families, to those around us, to the lost world out there. I wanted to talk about legacy this morning because brothers and sisters, I don't want to see that light go out. Actually, I want to see the light brighter than ever. Because there's a dark world outside there, and it needs you. So this morning, we're going to talk about legacy, the life that you lead, that everyday life. We're not looking for one-hit wonder Christians. We need to live for God every single day. That life, the life that you lead every day will determine the legacy that you leave. We're going to read from Luke chapter 7, but before we do, please uh, bow with me and pray. Lord, we're grateful to be here. Lord, I pray that as we're here, that, that uh, you know, your word, that, that, that your word like really resounds on our hearts. Be with me as I preach. I love you so much, guys. In your son's name I pray, amen. amen. Luke chapter 7, verse 1. It says, when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, to, listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus, and he sent some elders excuse me, sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he's, he loves our nation. He's built our synagogue. So, so Jesus went with them. And he wasn't far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself, consider myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. He does it. And when Jesus heard this, he, he, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. You know, this Roman centurion, he's a man of great power. You know, he tells people, go, and they go. Do this, and they do it. You know, I, I can't wait to have that power over my 15-month-old son. You know, like, hey, Levi, stop eating the dog food. <laughs> Levi, don't touch the stove. But you get this, you get the... One day, I will be like the centurion here with my son. We're looking for first-time obedience. He was a man with power, but he had no power in his current situation. But he had heard about Jesus. You know, and I love what he says in verse 3. He heard of Jesus, so he got some of the elders of the Jews, and he said, hey, Ask him to come here and heal my servant. You know, this wasn't a, hey, can you invite him over for dinner? Because I want to smooth him up a little bit. I don't know him that well. Let's, let's have him come over. Let's have him examine the situation. No, he said, go get Jesus. Tell him, come and heal. 
the Jewish elders, they, they, they go find Jesus. And I don't know what they were thinking. Let's pump this guy up. Hey, you know, he's built our synagogues, Jesus. He's an amazing guy. He loves our nation. Jesus comes. But on his way, Jesus gets another word. The centurion said, hey, I need you to one of his friends to deliver a message for me. Tell him, Lord, don't trouble yourself. I wonder how long that pause was. You ever wanted to try to help somebody? And then they just say, don't worry about it. Just, yes, yeah, stop. I wonder if Jesus was like, but I want to help you. I wonder if he was thinking, man, this guy's got some pride in his heart. Just don't even worry about it, Jesus. I got it. No. He said, don't trouble yourself. And an amazing response, he says, I don't even deserve to have you come to my house. That's why I didn't even come and see you. I don't even deserve to meet you, Jesus. Just say the word. That's all you need to do. Just say the word. And my servant will be healed. I think that stopped Jesus in his steps. Jesus looked around at the crowd and he's like, man, I haven't seen faith like this anywhere. And this is God's territory. And I haven't seen faith like this. We find faith in random places. You know, this man's legacy, we don't know his name. We just know he was a Roman centurion. But his legacy will forever be cemented as the man that amazed Jesus because of his faith. And his faith was rooted in humility. So this morning, I want to talk about those two things. If we're going to leave a legacy, it's going to start with the legacy of humility, number one. And it's going to require a legacy of faith. Because I believe that those two things are going to be how we accomplish great things for God in the future. Point number one is legacy of humility. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Amen. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Now, church, I don't know how you feel when one of the points to a sermon is humility. Normally, I don't like it. I don't like preaching about it, to be honest with you. You know, because sometimes I just have a hard time. Like, you know, I think about humility, and I just got to be honest with you guys for a second. When I'm thinking about humility, sometimes I just like, God, why does it have to be that? Like, why humility? Why do we have to humble ourselves? Why do we have to humble ourselves towards other people? Why do I have to submit to one another? Why do I have to serve one another humbly in love? Why do I have to be devoted to one another in love? Jesus, why couldn't you come in on a warrior horse? Why did you have to come in on a donkey? Come on. Why do I need to submit myself to the authorities? Humility is weak. It's lame. Besides, when I practice humility, sometimes I feel fake. That's another sermon. 
Bible says, humble yourself under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Not you time, due time, his time. Amen. God says, I want you to be humble because I want you to, I want to lift you up, but you need to be humble. I want to lift you up. When we get humble, God does the heavy lifting. You know, we're here for one thing and one thing only. That's to bring glory to God. That's our purpose. When we humble ourselves, God can then exalt us. He can then lift us up. Humility is what God wants to bless. Humility gets God on your side. I love it when John the Baptist was preaching and he talked about Jesus and he says, he must become greater, I must become less. Our perspective towards God needs to be, he must be everything. I must be nothing. You know, but pride is sneaky. Pride likes to weave its way in your life. It's a slippery slope. Pride is. But we end up on it so often. You know, pride makes you stubborn even when you know you're wrong. You ever been in one of those arguments? You're arguing with your wife or your roommate. And they just said that you know that they said the one thing that deflates your entire argument. But you're like, "Mm -mm, not giving up. I'm going to win this battle no matter what. So you pick other battles if you said if. Why'd you say it that way? Your kids. Hmm. You know, you start picking other battles. Pride makes you stubborn. Pride keeps you from saying sorry. You know, we get the say you're sorry. 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 You see, you see children do that. Say you're sorry. Give a hug. And it's like a. (laughs) Pride keeps you from trying new things. It makes you think that you're invincible. It makes you disrespectful to authority. And worse off, pride puts you in opposition to God. Brothers and sisters, we have to fight to keep pride out of our church. I'm writing this lesson, and I'm working on this very point. And my son, my 15-month-old son, Levi, wanted to climb on me. And he wanted to play. He said, dada, 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 he wants to play with me. And I'm like, I'm working, son, you know, and so I'm kind of like trying to push him away, but he doesn't stop. And, you know, you can get it, tell it's going to get intense. And if I don't engage with him, then he's going to cry. And so in my frustration, I like pick him up quickly. This wasn't like a loving pickup. This is like a pick him up quickly. And we got a ball pit at home and I just put him in his ball pit. Have fun. (laughs) My wife looks at me and I get the look. (laughs) Honey. Then I get frustrated at her. You know what I want? I didn't say it, but what I wanted to say is, honey, I'm working here on humility. Can't you see that I'm working on a point on humility? You know, and I love my wife because she says, you could just be humble. She had no idea that I was working on this. I was like, pride. 
is sneaky. Chances are you were prideful this morning. You might be prideful right now. You might be thinking, that's not me. Yes, it is. You know, in Psalm 10, verse 4, it says, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. You know, just so you know, and if you think, oh, I'm at least not as prideful as Gaston, that's prideful. Prideful people squeeze God out. Humility lets him in. Like the centurion, he's like, Jesus, I don't even, I'm not even worthy to have you come to my house. I don't even deserve to see you. Just say the word, Jesus. This convicted me so much because I've thought to myself, what would I do if Jesus wanted to come to my house? Started thinking about the meal I would cook, how clean I would make it. Are you kidding me? You don't even deserve to have him at your house in the first place. Man, what humility this centurion had. If we're going to leave an amazing legacy for God, we need to be rooted in humility. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand. I don't know about you, but I felt that hand before. I was, I am prideful. But, you know, when I came to church, I was so prideful. When people ask me in church, how'd you get to California in the first place? Did you come to try to act? No, I didn't. I blazed a trail of sin across the country. I chased a girl across the country, got a job along the way that planted me here uh, working at a retail store. Some of you might have heard of it called Buckle. I'm not sure if they're still in business out here. When I sat down and studied the Bible and we looked at Galatians 5, 19 through 21, I looked at that list and I said, that's me. That describes me perfectly. You know, then they said, well, what's your top three? I'm like, really? (laughs) You want me to be specific? Yeah. I was like, well, I think I can do everything. I'm selfishly ambitious. I think I can get any girl. And I like to find the bottom of every bottle. But inside, I was so empty. You know, I felt God's hand pressing down on me for a long time. In 2007, I remember really feeling God's hand. I I was single at the time. I was working in the retail store. And, uh, you know, during Christmas time, if you're the manager, you can't, you know, you work the day before Christmas, you work the day after. At the time, I didn't know anybody. I got to have Christmas Eve dinner with my roommate and her family. But that Christmas day, I was at home alone in my two bedroom apartment. I called my family and they're all having a great time. And I just remember weeping, like, what am I doing? I have nothing. You know, I I felt the hand of God a little bit, but I didn't want to look up because I was ashamed. So I drank my night away. You know, I got invited to church about six months after that. 
I was dating somebody, but I decided to go to church because I said, well, those girls that invited me are pretty cute, so I'm going to go to that church. This is just where I was. I think the first or second Bible talk that I went to, I was like, these people are awesome. So I invited the entire Bible talk to have drinks at my hot tub. And I was so prideful. I studied the Bible for, 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 six, for six months, but I could tell, you know, you could feel that hand of God coming down on you. You could just feel it. And I remember it really hit me. I'd quit my job because I wanted to start this other job. And then three days after three, after three days of work, they closed their doors. So I had two months of savings and no money and a two-bedroom apartment to pay for myself and other bills. And so I had about two months of savings, so I, I was on the job market, and I finally got a job at AT&T, um, but I was in between paychecks. You know how that goes? And um, with about one week to go, I had $15, and that was for my gas and my food that week. It was so humbling. And I remember showing up to church that Sunday. I had barely just started going to churches on church on Sundays. I'd studied the Bible for four months before I even came to a church Sunday service. But I went to church that Sunday and just met some people. I got invited over to people's houses for dinner eight days in a row. I did three Bible studies that week, and they wanted to pay for my meal. I ate better that week than I had since I was at home growing up. And I just felt the hand of God pushing down. And I finally, at that point, I was like, that was my breaking point. That was when I was like, all right, God, I'm done. I, I, whatever you want me to do, Lord, I will do it. That next week, I broke up with my girlfriend. I moved out of my situation, and I left everything at my apartment. It had two-bedroom, full, fully furnished apartment. The girl that, I was, that was renting a room from me, I just said, you just keep it all. You know, and, and, you know and, and I'm moving out. I stayed on the couch at a brother's household for a couple months until I got out of that lease. And, then, and she actually ended up keeping all of that stuff. You know, I had found, you know, I got baptized that next week, actually. Um, God gave me, like, he gave me a new vision. He turned my selfish ambition into... Hey, there's my family. He turned my selfish ambition into ambition for him. He said, you're not going to fill up on alcohol anymore. You're going to fill up on the spirit. And he said, as far as women go, just wait. I got somebody for you. And she's going to blow your mind, man. She's, gonna, she's, she's way out of your league. But I'm going to let you lead her. You better get humble. You know, pride didn't just go away. I remember, you know, I'm really good friends with Gio Garces, who leads the Shoreline Ministry now, but I remember talking to Gio, and Gio telling me, Aaron, when I first met you, you had just become a Christian. Somebody introduced us, and they were excited that you become a Christian, and I was like, man, this guy's prideful. I don't think he's going to make it. Pride doesn't die hard. It's a crazy journey. Two years later, we went into the full-time ministry. I remember that talk. I showed up to that talk because I had got offered a promotion at my job at AT&T that same day. 
So I said, I need to talk to Ron and tell him that I can't help lead the Bible talk anymore. Ron said, that's cool. I want you to go into the full-time ministry. You know, like, I stand here today just humbled. I got a beautiful wife, an amazing son, another son on the way. I mean, it has been a humbling journey because I look at that and I'm like, I don't deserve any of this. When they showed up to our house to tell us we were going to be appointed, I was like, are you sure? (laughs) You don't want to give us a little bit more time? You know, I was... When we humble ourselves, God lifts us up. You know, God loves you enough to meet you where you are. But he loves you too much to leave you there. You know, if you're stuck in your pride right now, God didn't order, he didn't save you in order for you to stay stuck. Humble yourself. Get unstuck. You know, we make a connection to the lost world when we humble ourselves because it's God who lifts us up. We can exalt our God when we're humble. We can't do it without God. We can have a family life with God. We can live a successful life as a single with God because God is enough. We can make a difference on our campuses, in our, in our college campuses, in our high school campuses because he is our light, because he is enough if we stay humble. You know, I think this world right now, it's feeling the hand of God. You know, and sometimes we mistake that hand for like, you know, God wants to smite me from the earth. No, he's just, you know, the hand is actually there to shelter us. Because he, he, he says, I want to be your shelter. I want to lift you up. I know I used to think that hand was there to just press me down. And sometimes it is. Like, God will keep the hand going. It'll keep going down to the floor until you finally just are laying flat and just saying, all right, God, you can either smush me or I can get humble, and then you can lift me back up. But the world is feeling that right now, I think, it's getting, it's, it's feeling the pressure. There's torn apart families out there. There's war out there. There's racism out there. There's hatred out there. Sexual predators just running around out there. Teens and college students without families, without moms and dads out there. You know, when you watch the Channel 4 news, it's the Channel 4 bad news that we watch. Stay humble, church. And you'll be lifted up. So when they're feeling that pressing down, they'll look up and they'll see a beacon of light. They'll see you and they'll be like, okay, what do I do? And they'll want to come over to your house. They'll want to study the Bible and say, hey, tell me what you have. And you're just going to say, I have nothing. But God has everything. We want to be a light to the world. We need to have a legacy of humility towards God. Point number two, a legacy of faith. Peter keeps writing. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. 
You know, we need to stand firm in our faith. The centurion, he amazed Jesus with his faith. He never gave up on a servant. Let me ask you this. When's the last time that someone told you, I was amazed at your faith? That your boss or your coworker or your classmate or your family member said, wow, you know, your faith through that trial blew me away. Like where your faith stops somebody in their tracks. The difference between faithful people and unfaithful people is unfaithful people, they give up when it gets difficult. Things get tough, they throw in the towel. They get scared, they're done. It's just too hard. You know, they say stuff like, it's too hard on my family, or I don't want to get exposed, or I'm uncomfortable. Faithful people, they keep on keeping on. They're persistent, they're determined, they're diligent. They don't know how to quit. You know, faithful people are that acorn that becomes an oak tree. An oak tree is just an acorn that refused to give up. 2 Corinthians 4, 16, it says, That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. A legacy of faith means we stay the course every day. The life you lead will determine the legacy that you leave. Staying in our word, staying prayerful. Brothers and sisters, lives depend on it. I want to share about a couple examples of just faithful people. You know, many of you know the Lotane family. Greg and Denise did not give up on their son, Nathan. Gary Smith did not give up on Nathan. Nathan came up and he studied the Bible in Santa Clarita. He became a disciple. And he's a powerful man of God. He's an intern for our campus ministry now. Nathan finished at COC and he went to CSUN. But one of the things I love about Nathan, I love watching Nathan on campus. Nathan told me one semester, he, told, he actually made a commitment to the entire campus ministry. He said, I'm going to carry my Bible everywhere. Not in my backpack. I'm going to carry it in my arms everywhere for an entire semester. And he had so many amazing conversations with people. He got to share the gospel with people. He made people run away from him because they're like, I don't want to hear it again, Nathan. Nathan shows up on campus still, and that's kind of how it is. Like People either want to talk to him or they don't want to talk to him because they know he's going to talk about their faith. But Nathan's legacy at COC is one of faith. I think about my granddad. My granddad passed four years ago. That's him holding uh, his favorite hot dog called New Way Wieners. They will put any hot dog joint in L.A. to shame, just so you guys know. My granddad passed four years ago, and when I got home, got, went home to do his eulogy, it was, uh, it was an emotional time. 
And afterwards, I'm sitting at the coffee table after the funeral, and I'm talking to my grandmother, and I grab my grandfather's Bible. It was one of those big preacher man Bibles. And like they're written in the 1600 King James. But I opened it up, and there was this like seven-page letter in there that was addressed to his kids. He had four living children, and it was called Chambers of Your Heart. My granddad's, one of his last wishes was that he said, I want all my four kids to read this letter together. It wasn't a letter, though. It was a, a seven-page Bible study on loving God with every chamber of your heart. What a legacy. In 2013, our very own Ron Hammer got to baptize his dad, Henry Hammer. He reached out to his dad for 25 years. He and his brother Mike had reached out to their dad for 25 years. And his dad made the decision to become a Christian in 2013 and one month later graduated onto paradise. You know, last year, flip the next slide, please. Last year, we got to see Caesar Felici baptize his son, Mark Felici. And Caesar's just, Caesar and Rachel Felici, they've just been an inspiration to me. They just recently went back into the, uh, the leading singles ministry, doing an amazing job with the singles. Caesar got baptized at 2000, or excuse me, at 19 years old. I don't know what year that was for him. And at CSUN. Since then, he got married to an amazing woman, Rachel. Caesar helped his sister become a disciple in 2012. And last year, he got to baptize his son. And it was, it's just so inspiring. I share that with you guys because, like, campus students, teens, you can stay faithful. If you stay faithful, this is what's ahead. I know it's inspiring to the, few, the older generations when they see somebody like Caesar who's raised up from the campus ministry. And now he has teens in the ministry. It's just faith building. That was such a party to be at that baptism. Everybody was really excited, especially his mom there was really excited. <laughs> you know, I got to tell you, though, she was so excited. I got to tell you, while that was going on, Caesar's dad was dying. Rachel told him, honey, I need you to do this one thing. I need you to have one more conversation with your dad. He wasn't a Christian yet, but his dad got baptized in November last year. And then he passed away three days later. One more conversation. You know, when I look out, the, out at this room, I am looking at a powerful group of people. Because do you realize you have the power to change the course of someone's life for eternity with one conversation? I mean, that's just empowering. It takes faith to do that, though. Maybe it's one more 
conversation. Maybe it's multiple conversations, but you have that in you as long as you'll stay humble, as long as you'll stay faithful. You know, we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have all the answers, but we do have to have a mantra that says, I will not quit. I'll take you at your word, Jesus. I'm going to be like the Energizer Bunny. I'm not going to quit because there's glory ahead. Glory is still ahead. You know, as I close, I want to, I want to do something. We'll see how this works. If you've been a disciple for over 15 years, I'd like to ask you to stand up right now. Wow. Stay standing because I got, I'm going to preach at you really quick. Man, I just want to tell you guys, thank you. You've led the charge. You've inspired many. We're so thankful to you for staying the course, for constantly molding your faith every new time, every year you face a new frontier of faith and you have stayed faithful. But I can tell you this, the next generation needs your faith. We need a double portion of your faith. Yes, we need to know your secrets to success. We need to know, okay, how do I get by in life? But most of all, we just need your faith. We love it when we see that faithful flame from you guys. We love it when you dream. It was so inspiring to hear, to see those four men up here praying. Man, I just felt chills as they were praying. We love to see your faith. Guys, glory is still ahead. Let's stay faithful. You can grab, you can take a seat. I want to have another group stand up really quick. If you've been a disciple, from between five and 15 years, please stand up. I'm on. This is the group that I'm in. I just want to tell you guys, you don't make it this far by accident. You've, you, you've grown out of Childhood, you, you kind of, you're still either a kid or you're in a teenager. So you're still learning. Your faith, I know at, by, you know, there's no doubt that your faith has been refined over these years. But guess what? You're still standing. Don't quit. Glory is still ahead. You guys can grab a seat. And now that last group, and this group is, if you've been a disciple under five years, or if you're just studying the Bible, or if you're staying at this hotel and you saw a church service, you wanted to come, I want you to stand up right now. Stand up right now. Come on. Here's what I'd like to say to you. Don't lose the inspiration. 
Don't let your flame die out. I want to challenge each one of you to dig deep into the word of God. Make sure your faith is deeply rooted in the word of God. Look to the faithful examples of those that are sitting down right now. Look at them. Learn from them. Be inspired by them. Imitate their faith. Don't quit. God will not fail you, I promise you. Do not quit. The best is still ahead. If you're studying the Bible right now, make a decision. Humble yourself under his mighty hand. He wants to lift you up, but you got to humble yourself. Don't wait six months like I did. Make a decision today to humble yourself to God's word. To, to, it will change the trajectory of your life. You guys can grab a seat. You know, the church, as a church, the world needs us to be a light. Everyone, we got to stay humble under God's mighty hand. We got to let God do the heavy lifting. Amen. Humble yourselves daily in prayer towards God, towards one another at home, in your workplace. That's how we're going to leave a legacy of humility. Let's stay the course. If it's tough right now, stay the course. If it's easy right now, enjoy it. Because it's going to get tough and then stay the course. Walk with God daily. Take him at his word. Let's leave a legacy of faith because the life that you lead will determine the legacy that you leave. Amen.